The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today we're going to have a lot of fun with Beth Lawrence from the Baltimore area, who's a speech pathologist and the co-founder of Infracabulary. And we're going to learn all about it. Beth, welcome to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to just be here with you and, and have this opportunity. I'm really appreciative. Very cool. Now, let's have you introduce yourself correctly. You did a great job. I wouldn't correct a thing. Um, yeah, so I, I am a speech language pathologist. Uh, the last 18 years um, prior to that, I had worked with uh, the little itty bitties under the age of five. And then the last 18 years, I've really focused my practice on working with school age children, elementary, middle, high school, who um, have you know, different types of learning differences, uh, speech language disorders. And um, a lot of my students have dyslexia and language-based learning disabilities. So I've really, really been immersed in helping students with literacy and, you know, including written language, reading, reading comprehension, all of that. So that's my background. Tell us how you got into this. How, what led you into this? So I'm the CEO of a technology company, an educational technology company called Infocabulary with my co-founder, who's also a speech language pathologist. And we did not wake up one day and say, I know, I have this great idea. I'm going to go start a company and learn about marketing and get an MBA the hard way. Um, no, no, that was not what happened. We um, actually, what happened was about seven years ago, I was, um, up until that point, I had been working with educators, speech language pathologists, special educators, tutors, um, really kind of honing in on best practice instruction for the five pillars of literacy. So phonemic awareness and phonics and um, fluency and vocabulary and reading comprehension. And so I was, you know, keeping abreast of what's what was considered best practice. And I had a huge toolbox. And so when I was working with my own students, I was using those tools. And I met a girl in eighth grade, and I just um, I just did a TEDx talk on this very story, where everything I was pulling out, like I pulled out everything, I like pretty much dumped the box, and nothing was working for her. She was really struggling with comprehending Animal Farm by George Orwell, and the big issue I was seeing was the vocabulary. So I was trying everything I knew how to do. And literally she told me that, that prominent after we had done lots of really cool, edgy, like cutting edge work, um, she told me that uh, prominent meant tall. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we, have, we have a problem. So I pulled out her psychoeducational assessment hoping that I could find some clues in that. And oh my gosh, I had this massive epiphany that I had been, even though I was using all kinds of multi-sensory approaches to help her because she was dyslexic, she had a language issue, she had a bunch of, you know, she had a different brain. Um, and uh, I had this epiphany that I had been still using language as the primary modality to teach language 
to a kid whose primary deficit, her her nonverbal uh, performance quotient on the the WISC on the you know IQ testing was a 125, and her verbal was an 85. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing using language? So I scratched my head and and um, and was hoping to to find something that could be a tool I could use, and there was nothing commercially available. So I went online and I found a bunch of images um, and I put them on a PowerPoint page. And I put the word prominence at the top and I'm like, I'm going to see how well she can do with solving this problem and figuring it out for herself. And it was literally a miracle. So six seconds, she goes, oh, prominent means to stand out in some way. And then she was able to tell me two additional examples of prominency that I didn't even have on the page. Um, And so, you know, with my, you know, focus on one student at a time in my, in my private practice, and I had worked in public school as well. Um, I really just thought this was a cool vocabulary way to help her. And then I started using it with some other students. And then I started sharing it with colleagues as you do. And then, um, and then somebody, somebody along the way suggested, Oh, you could turn this into an app, you know? Um, and, I knew that there would be a lot of work involved and time and resources. So I wanted to make sure there was a there there with it. And so I um, had the very good fortune of um, Martha Denkla from uh, Johns Hopkins, who's a a pretty prominent, um, um, one of the grand dams. She's the woman who, who discovered like the role of fluency and the importance of rapid automatic naming in, in the whole reading process. So anyhow, she invited me to come to Johns Hopkins and I gave her a 20 minute, you know, and she was like, you have to do this. So that launched us, um, Dina and me on this, um, this adventure that we're on. We ended up publishing a norm referenced assessment tool along the way. Um, and realizing that, what we had designed for one student and then the 10% of students that, you know, we're kind of trained to focus on those in special education, really with some market research, it's 65% of students in this country who struggle with reading comprehension. And then University of Virginia did a research study and it's, it was a small study, but um, what his results found was that all of the students, the, the students on IEPs, those who were struggling but not getting the special help, and the high flyer students, all of them did better the weeks that they used in vocabulary to learn words in their ability to apply their understanding to new contexts. So it kind of opened up this whole, um, oh, this might just be another best practice tool that we can we can encourage educators to use. Tell us uh, how technology plays a role with infocabulary. Yeah. So um, (laughs) my co-founder has been extraordinarily patient with me these last seven years because I, my my husband still thinks it's quite amusing that, uh, that I am a CEO of a technology company (laughs) because I used to be like, where's the delete button, right? So I've come a long way. I'm, I, I, I have, I'm very grateful for neuroplasticity for sure. It's my, it's like my favorite thing to be grateful for. Um, but technology has, it's, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Um, and kids are, kids are on it. Kids are using it. Um, I definitely, even though I, I have a technology company, I still want kids to have playtime hands-on, you know, so I am not a, an advocate of let's replace 
good instruction, the, the human interaction, teacher and student. I'm not an advocate of replacing, you know, tummy time in babies with screen time. I'm, I'm not. It has its place. It's here. It's here to stay. Um, and what tech, what the technology has, has um, enabled is really um, access. So one of one of the things that Dean and I care a lot about is is equity and making sure that kids of all needs and all socioeconomic backgrounds have access to good quality um, materials and, and tools and instruction. So it's kind of, um, it's enabled that. Um, many, you know, very high percentage of schools in, in, in our country at least have access to technology. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that levels the playing field. And our tool is very customizable. So if it were just, um, if it were just workbooks, it would be kind of static. And usually those get distributed to the entire class and everybody's on, everybody's doing the same thing. And with vocabulary, um, say you are a fifth grade teacher, you're teaching the novel, The Giver, you have the ability to go into our tool and we, as the language experts, have pulled out the tier two and the academic words, those words that kids um, are going to need as they go through life um, and also can cause them to stumble with their comprehension. We've pulled those words out and the teacher can assign those words from whatever the book is that they're reading. Um, but within my class, if I know that there are students who really struggle with vocabulary, I can bump down their grade level. I can bump up the grade level of other students who need, you know, who, who gifted and talented, who might need a little bit of a, of a push. So technology is one of those other one of the other things that it does is allow for that differentiation talk to us about in your view where reading and speech intersect oh that's a good one so i'm just old enough that um, when I was getting my master's degree in speech and language it was just the beginnings of us really delving in and and getting those great um, brain studies um, out of NIH and, and lots of other places that really um, honed in on reading being a sound-based process. So the parts of the brain that are involved with processing um, sound is, is really what is the foundation for reading. And so that's what introduced the whole idea of phonemic awareness, having that understanding. My, my favorite... Um, my, my favorite example is, you know, um, the word bread. Now say the word bread without the r sound. And so that ability to be able to kind of go, oh, I'm hearing it. And, and not the letters, B-R-E-A-D, but just the sounds that are in that, you know, there's just four sounds, b, r, e, d. So phonemic awareness is that the brain's ability to go, oh, take out the r, it says bed. Or exchange the r with a l, that's bled. Um, or how many syllables are in onomatopoeia. We did not know when I was in graduate school, we did not, that wasn't being taught. Um, and it wasn't until, gosh, I think uh, 1990, I attended a course on Orton Gillingham. And that was when like this whole, everything started to make a lot more sense where speech language pathologists really have a role in literacy because now we're asking students to think about sounds and manipulate and, and have a have that strength and now apply that understanding to the letters and squiggles that are on the page. And that's the process of reading. 
if a parent is watching this and they have a, uh, a newborn and they want to begin early with best practices for their child to learn language, what's your advice? Oh, that's a good one. Lots of experiential play. Um, I would definitely say in vocabulary doesn't, doesn't really kick in until kids are six ish, six years old, seven. That's when critical thinking really starts to kick in for kids. Um, so lots of language, lots of labeling things, lots of talking about how, how, um, you know, this item goes with this item category, laying down categories and subcategories like, Oh, you've got, you put your clothes on the baby or on the, on the teddy bear, you know, or, Oh, those look like winter clothes. Your, your teddy bears going to be nice and warm. That's the kind of conversation back and forth and, and listening to. Um, but, but for older students in vocabulary is, is the only tool that's going to challenge them to use semantic reasoning, which is kind of our, that's kind of our secret sauce within in vocabulary. So. I think Labels are a lousy way to describe a human being, but sometimes you need them, sometimes you don't. Um, and you obviously, with vocabulary, you're looking at all different brains. But those that you're teaching and those that you're reaching, what would you estimate some of the uh, top hitters are for labels? Um, definitely kids who have a diagnosis of dyslexia or language-based learning disability. Um, they are, like I said, if you are not spending time getting those multiple encounters over time with these great words like compliant and prominent and prudent, you, those will be stumbling blocks as you're trying to comprehend. Uh, and there's some great research or a couple of studies that 95% one said 95%, another said 98%. Um, and that's the percentage of words that you already need to know when you encounter them in a text. We teach a lot about teaching kids how to use context clues when they're reading. And unfortunately, authors are not that nice. <laughs> like they don't sit down going, I'm going to write something with context clues. They write with great vocabulary. Um, and so you just, over time, you, you develop that. And so kids who are, have decoding issues, they're not going to be encountering unless they're doing a lot of uh, listening to audiobooks. That's a really, I highly recommend that. Um, another population is kids with receptive and expressive language disorders. Um, that's another population. We definitely have a lot of, um, we have a lot of schools that um, are Title I because as, as you, in, you know, you intimated there, you know, when you don't have that, um, it, it, with kids in poverty, there's, there's a higher likely, a higher likelihood, a high, po high possibility that they may not have grown up in a language rich environment. So, um, yeah, those are probably the top three. Um, we do have, um, speech language pathologists and special educators who are using this tool with, um, people who are on the autism spectrum. Um, it definitely would need to be modified to do that. The reason it would not necessarily be appropriate to just, you know, have a, have a student who's, um, who has autism, just sign up and log in and, and go is because we ask them to engage in critical thinking. They have to use inductive reasoning, deductive reasoning, and they figure out the meanings of the words. We do not tell them a definition until they've gone through that process. So you can imagine that that 
has high potential to be be um, difficult for someone with autism. However, in the hands of a of a therapist or a tutor um, who is trying to improve those skills, you it, it can be adapted and, and used to really hone in on exactly one of the major aspects that they need to work on. So it's adaptable. It's an adaptable tool. Very interesting. How do you define semantic reasoning? Good. So semantic reasoning is a, if you, if you look at it, if you Google it, it is an augmentative, I mean, it's a, an artificial intelligence, um, computing, you know, it's a term that's been in, in that world. Um, we had a fantastic researcher colleague who, who became a, 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 you know, very, very big supporter of what we're working on. Um, back in the days when I presented it to him and he's like, and I was like, look at this cool vocabulary thing that we came up with. And he's like, you realize this is a lot more than that. And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. Help me understand. So lots of fantastic conversations back and forth and, there were days I, he was Mr. Miyagi and I was, you know, trying to figure it out. Um, but what we came up with is it's semantic reasoning is requiring the learner to use inductive and deductive reasoning um, in the semantic domain, which is the vocabulary and vocabulary relationship domain. And so that's what we're asking people to do. That can be done with sentence examples. Um, we find it really useful to use um, photographs and images um, just because it kind of um, takes away, rather than having you use a, an area of thinking that, you know, language that may not be your strength, we can really draw on the visual, the visual strengths that people, that a lot of people have. And then we can also go younger. So, um, you know, rather than requiring you to read, to read a complex sentence, if you're in first grade, it can be, it can be done with just the, the visuals. So, yeah. Let's say somebody in our audience, they want to learn more about you and your work and everything else, and you, you're into some different things too. It's not all in vocabulary. It's speech pathology, it's other interests and everything. How do they learn more about you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. That's my, that's my preferred social media, um, just because it, for the most part, stays away from political and so, you know, it pretty much focuses on business and, and, um, you know, education and that kind of thing. So I, that's my favorite. Um, our website is infercabulary.com. Um, there is an about page there. Um, we do still have a services side of our business. So in Baltimore, uh, we have seven or eight speech language pathologists um, who work for us, and um, and so we continue to provide services to families who um, you know want to provide their their children with additional support between I don't know ages two through college, um, and um, so that's that's um, you know just a quick Google search would would find that. Um, yeah. And then in vocabularies, that's, um, that's become our full-time, uh, mission. Uh, we're trying to really, really, and, and like, we'll be presenting at the American Speech Hearing Association. We have power, you know, our PowerPoint presentations are, are on our website. Um, we have handouts there. Uh, we really want, uh, in vocabulary is a tool that 
can be purchased. Um, but we also teach teachers and, and instructors just how to create their own semantic reasoning lessons. Um, so you could also check on um, Google just acquired uh, one of our one of our good friends uh, companies called Workbench. Uh, so Workbench by Google has all kinds of teach great hands-on teacher lessons. So I would definitely recommend people check that out. But one of them is um, a lesson that we've put in there, basically teaching people what here's the process that you can create your own semantic reasoning uh, lessons. You don't have to purchase our product. We really want. We just really, really believe that it it it, ha it can have a profound impact on, in addition to other vocabulary instruction you know, methods and approaches, this is another one to kind of add to your toolbox. So, yep, we'll be at International Dyslexia Association this year in Oregon. We're going to be in ASHA. We're doing two presentations in at, at ASHA in Florida this year. Um, yep, I think that's those are some ways to find us. What do you feel is the biggest single stumbling block, if there is one, to prevent the greater educational establishment, if you will, from, quote, getting what you understand about this? Ah, that's a good question. Well, I think, I think pedagogy shifting is really, really hard. Um, you know, there's, there's the, this is the way we've always done it. Why do we need something new? And, and yet, you know, when, when it's such a visual tool that it's kind of one of those, like, let me show you. And people are like that. I, I can't tell you how many times we hear that makes so much sense. And it does. And we hear that makes so much sense. This is way more fun than the normal way we've got, you know, I, ERB scores, stay nine scores improving. One of the weeks that um, University of Virginia, um, Michael, Michael Kennedy did a, a research study and he, it was only 75 students, but um, they alternated approach. So in vocabulary one week with teacher A, teacher B taught the same words with business as usual. And then they, they kept the same kids the whole six weeks. So it wasn't like one better teacher, you know, compared to the other. And then week two, teacher one was using uh, business as usual and teacher two was using in vocabulary. And that way they could compare from one group to the other. Um, but in addition to that, the thing that excited me the most was he also looked at kids in special education. They had a, a cohort of kids in special education of these 75 kids who struggled but were not identified or getting special help. And then the kind of like the high flyer, you know, students who were doing well on reading comprehension annual assessment did great on the vocabulary screening, you know, no concerns. So they looked at the they looked at the score. They could compare the group, you know, the groups to one another. They could compare one individual student to him or herself from week to week. And then the cool thing is there was actually one. So across the board, the infocabulary week whoever was using in vocabulary was outscoring the other group. Um, individuals did better for the most part with in vocabulary. But the cool part was there was one week that the kids in special education outperformed the high flyer kids. <laughs> How cool <laughs> is that? Yay! And they all reported liking it and having fun. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, we, we want to see more of that. Well, Beth Lawrence, Infocabulary, it's been such a pleasure to have you here.
at Exploring Different Brains. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Of course, it was absolutely my pleasure. I, I really, really enjoyed chatting with you and, and having an opportunity to share what, what we've been working on. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.